Hey, Three Crosses family, welcome back to the Going Deeper podcast. AJ Venegas here, director of Life Groups and Discipleship here at Three Crosses. We have another special guest here today to talk about this special sermon that we had this week called Dying to Live. It was inspired by a book that we decided to choose uh, for a fall recommended resource called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. We encourage you to pick it up and we're going to talk about it more today. And so with that, let's go deeper. Well, welcome back, Three Crosses audience. Today we have a special guest here sitting with us to talk about Dying to Live, Lauren Corbis, Director of Middle School Ministry. Lauren, welcome to Going Deeper. Thank you, AJ. I'm super excited to be here, and I'm excited to go deeper with you today. You know, we've taken a pause in this First Peter series uh, because we're talking a lot about being exiles in a foreign place. And this transition that's about to happen is Peter's going to start talking about a lot of the things that are going on in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and all under the auspices of this Greco-Roman culture, which we can derive some timeless principles from, but really it's, it's struggles that are going on there. Um, and so one of the reasons we wanted to stop is because we wanted to offer a resource that kind of hits our cultural moment. Mm. And so... A lot of us are trying to our best to take the pulse of what's going on as exiles today because there's something unique going on in the East Bay. And we really felt like this book by John Mark Comer, Live No Lies. He's a pastor in Portland, Oregon, which is very similar to the East Bay. Uh, it does a really good job of identifying some of the adversity and suffering that we're facing today as Christians in this American West postmodern, post-truth culture. And so I love it because a lot of us, again, are trying to put our finger on what's going on, but we really can't hmm. figure it out. Yeah. And so, Lauren, I love the the thesis statement that you wrote um, to kind of present this uh, these topics. You said that our main culprit is the devil. His weapon of choice is lies, and his lies appeal to our appetites. And then over time, these disordered appetites become accepted practices in the systems of our world. And so I know I added some words to that thesis statement, but Lauren, could you help us go deeper into that thesis statement by taking it apart piece by piece? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that like you said, we're living in this really unique cultural moment, especially here in the East Bay area. And as Christian people, it's, it's not a welcoming society to the beliefs and practices and truths that we find in scripture and in the life of Jesus Christ. And so if, if we don't take a moment to stop and really look at what is the enemy that we're up against, and it's the same enemy that Peter was up against 2,000 years ago, then we're going to, instead of looking at the devil and saying that this is the father of lies, we're going to look at people and we're going to demonize those people. So I, I think it's our calling and it's our... Uh, our part of our purpose in this lifetime is to identify where these lies are coming from that we're hearing in our culture, our society, what we're up against in suffering, and and really taking a look at that and seeing what can we see in Jesus's own life that equips us to come up against the devil. And so Jesus tells us that the the devil is the father of lies, that that is the source of untruth in our world, um, and and then we have these fleshly appetites. We're broken and sinful people, so we have these appetites um, for for deep and 
and meaningful things, but sometimes those appetites get twisted by our flesh um, and it looks like lusting for something else or hungering for some worldly success or uh, just what it looks like to get ahead in our world. And especially here in the East Bay Area, we just see so much of that. This this drive for success, uh, this fast-paced culture, this fast gratification culture where everything is at our fingertips, maybe more so than it was 2,000 years ago, but uh, the same struggles that Peter was kind of dealing with in, in the cultural fire that he was in. So we have these appetites uh, that, that we've twisted and allowed lies to kind of get into. Mm-hmm. And then we have this world, this culture and society that welcomes uh, welcomes these appetites and desires that the devil says he can satisfy. He's the father of lies. So he twists what we want into something that is not godly, that is not righteous or holy. And he convinces us that we can get it by, by stepping away from the will of God, from stepping out of God's plan. And so uh, when we look to Jesus and we follow his commands and and we recognize and and see face to face that the father uh, of lies is actually the devil then we're able to live in this society in a way that can honor christ more fully one of the things we've been doing in this podcast is is asking questions through the lens of a skeptic and i think right off the bat in this thesis statement an acknowledgement of the devil and people out there might be thinking man already this sounds a little bit wild you seriously expect me to believe in this like invisible red horned figure that has like a pitchfork. It's existing in this endless chamber of fire with his little minions running yeah, around. That sounds silly. Yeah. Might end up on my shoulder from time to time. Right. What do you say to people that, um, yeah, there is a devil according to the scriptures. Yeah. Uh, how, how do we reconcile that thought, especially in our 21st century that says, hey, we rely on what we can mm, see, um, the scientific method. If we can't like feel it or, or study it, it doesn't exist. So, so what do we say to that? I mean, I think from from just a, a kind of zoomed out perspective here, we are beings who are created to worship. And I think whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not, uh, you can probably recognize there are things in your life that you worship with your life. And as Christian people, um, the hope is that we would constantly be be coming back and putting Jesus on the throne of our lives and and living out of an abundance of that. And if we believe that there is this good, there is this good creator and good father, um, we have to acknowledge that he did not, uh, he, he's not the origin of death and destruction and suffering um, and, and pain. Our God is good and loving. So there has to be this other side to it. And, and scripture tells us that the devil is real. It's abundantly clear. I actually remember being in Awana when I was a kid in like third grade and I grew up hearing about Jesus. I grew up hearing all the Bible stories. And then I don't want to, this speaker gets on the stage and she's just like, the devil is real. And I was like, no, he's not. God's real. The devil's not. And, and this is kind of the perspective. I think that sometimes as Christians, we're so, uh, focused on God, which, which is a beautiful thing. But part of that focus on God needs to be this recognition that there is this source of death and destruction and that that is the devil. There's this quote, uh, that I think really captures the, the essence of who the devil is and his deception and trickery. Uh, Kaiser Soze says in this movie, Unusual Suspects, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. To not believe in the devil is actually succumbing to the devil's lies. And uh, reading the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, that's another great resource just to see the heart of deception that the devil has and and his ultimate aim and objective to bring death and destruction uh, to our world and to humanity and to hearts of, of people who are created to love and know God. 
This book is so awesome because it has those movie quotes, those cultural quotes. Uh, one of the quotes he presents us at the very beginning of the book is uh, this sort of self-assessment saying, why do I feel so tired, worn down, not in body, but in mind? Why do I feel so battered and bruised? What do, why does every day feel like a battle just to stay faithful, to keep following Jesus? Here's an idea. Maybe because it is. And so it's like this realization, this Ephesians 6 realization that the war is against powers and principalities, not just the people, like you said, demonizing people. I think that's a real temptation for us. And you see, you know, fighting the good fight language across the scriptures. You see, you know, the adversary prowling around looking to devour somebody. And so it's getting on the same page that there is a war. And one of the, the places of this war that's being taken place is in our appetites. One of the points that stood out to both of us is this idea of a snowball effect or a law of returns when it comes to talking about our habits, our appetites. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. I love that you brought up the battle language that we see not only throughout this book, but but throughout Paul's writing in Ephesians, throughout uh, Paul's writing in all of his letters and, and Jesus's own lifetime. Um, just this idea of running this race. And, and I think that if you are alive on this earth right now, whether you're a Christian or not, the reality is you are fighting a battle every day. This life is a battle. The difference is that when you follow and trust Jesus, you have the ultimate victor on your side. And so we, like I was mentioning earlier, we have these appetites, these fleshly appetites. And um, like anything, what we feed is going to determine the people that we are and who we become. And it's not a question of daily, um, whether we're becoming somebody, whether we're finding ourselves, but it's a question of who we're becoming. Every action, everything we do, every uh, bit of attention that we give our minds to, every thought that we have, every minute we're scrolling on social media, these are all things that are composing the people who we are. And so it's a, it's a hard reality, but the truth is that in each moment, in each decision we're making, we get to choose to become more like Jesus or we get to choose to become more like the devil. So um, this idea of the snowball effect or the law of returns, as fancy people might say, uh, <laughs> just kind of states that that what you're feeding is going to it's going to increase and it, that desire might increase for that thing. If we're devoting ourselves to scripture and prayer and spending time with Jesus and being with people who are encouraging us, then those will, that's going to become what we crave. And that's going to determine our character and the people who we are, how we act and think and our attitudes. Um, if we're spending our time on the lusts of this world and feeding those fleshly appetites, listening to the lies of the devil, that if we just do this thing, or if we just spend this money on this, we'll be satisfied. Um, or if we just you know, take that action, that, that thing that he's saying, uh, will get us ahead, then we're going to become more like him. And we're going to be, uh, not transformed into the likeness of Jesus, but we're going to conform to the patterns of this world. Uh, that is right now the, the realm that the devil is, uh, having ownership in. One of the movie quotes, again, going back to the cultural Love moments, uh, really cultural applies moments. to you because when I walked into your mm -hmm. office one time, I looked up and I saw a uh, an Elsa yeah. poster. She and watches over. Yeah. She watches over. So yeah. this concept of like this negative freedom, which is saying like you're free from yeah. uh, certain things, like free to do whatever you want, free from all these restrictions. And he quotes, uh, let it go. Yeah. He says, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Yeah let it go. And then he 
distinguishes between negative freedom and positive freedom, which is sort of a freedom to do something, to live up to a standard, to live up to, you know, if we are created in God's image and he has a right understanding of how we should live, then like there's these habits that you're talking about that if we start leaning into those, then our body and our soul sort of react to those things and like develop these new, new lifestyles essentially. And so, um, and, and I love yeah. too that like we can look at Jesus and we can say this is a perfect picture of, of how a human can live. I love Elsa. I think she's just <laughs> an amazing queen. She does a great job. Um, but she she's flawed too. And the mm. reality is the no right, no wrong, no rules for me. The, the reality is that God has given us instructions and commands mm-hmm. for our lives mm-hmm. that um, ultimately, and I think we'll get to this, we get to it mm-hmm. in the message, but um, this is what ultimate freedom and ultimate true life looks like is, is following the commands and instructions and lifestyles and attitudes of the person of Jesus. Which then leads to the question, how did these appetites become so accepted? You know, how did this no right, no wrong, no rules for me? How did this become so accepted in the systems of our world and our cultural moment and our um, milieu of of thinking? And this is sort of the last piece uh, of the world Mm -hmm. coming into play. You know, I was looking at this is my pessimistic nature. I was looking at some Amazon reviews of Live No Lies and I immediately scrolled down to the one star reviews. Yeah. And a lot of people got angry because it addresses some of our systems. And this is where it kind of leans into the political leanings. And, uh, you know, I feel like he fairly attacks the right and the left. And it really challenges us to think about what is our allegiance really to? Is it towards politics or a system of this world or is it to the way of Jesus Christ? And so... I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how these disordered desires that are are stemming from these lies of the devil that cater to our appetites, how do they then become so accepted across our world? Right. And divisive too, right? It's just, I mean, any one of us can take a look and see where followers of Christ have gone astray in their, uh, in the way that they've pledged themselves to different systems and parties and uh, political realms or cultural norms. And I think that my encouragement to any listener right now would just be to read this book. I think that there is so much packed in here that we're not going to have time to get to today. We're not going to have time to get to in the message, but there's so much packed in here that just talks about specific cultural moments. I love these examples he gives. He talks about Nazi Germany and how um, this idea, this this twisted uh, lie and and disreality, um, this idea of oppression and and just racism, mm-hmm. just blatantly uh, becomes something that is widely accepted by this group of people. Mm-hmm. And um, that's obviously a stark example. But he talks about pirating CDs and how downloading things illegally, uh, you know, downloading songs and burning CDs is something that John Mark Comer, the writer, he felt convicted about. But his friends around him, that was the norm. That was stealing that music was the norm for them. Um, And I just love that these examples that he gives that kind of talk about the fact that our world is almost this breeding ground of, of, of allowing and accepting these disordered desires. Uh, He talks about just in, in sexual intimacy, how adultery is kind of this last piece where that's the last thing that we just don't, don't accept anymore. But it seems like almost everything else, having multiple partners, um, just different different ways that we're going about uh, sexual intimacy, 
And the way that we approach that has just become so normalized by our culture in a way that 50 years ago it wasn't, 100 years ago it wasn't. But um, it seems like it's just increasingly this ground for for our appetites uh, to be appealed to by these lies of the devil. So we've been talking a lot about the negative aspects of these worlds, like our enemy. But I think the thing I love about your title and about the message is that we die to these things so that we can then live. And I love the equation that he kind of draws out from First John uh, chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. I'll just read it for you guys. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and it says, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so he's focused, he focuses on those three descriptors. Um, he talks about like the desires or the lust of the flesh. He equates that to sort of this Genesis 3 um, original sin content where it says like, hey, the woman saw that it was good for food. And so, and then he, he talks about the lust of the eyes. It was pleasing to the eye. The fruit was pleasing to the eye. And then the pride of life, it was desirable for gaining wisdom. But then he throws a little bit of solutions conversations by pointing to Matthew four. And so he starts making a case that in this scene, we see that Jesus gives us an example of how to defeat those lies and a strategy to move forward. Um, whether it's uh, the temptation to turn stones to bread, like it's good for food, whether it's um, denying kingdoms and their splendor or um, becoming a spectacle for all humanity. And Jesus refutes those things. And so it leads into the conversation about this future strategy. And so, um, Lauren, I was wondering, you mentioned a couple of disciplines Mm -hmm. on Sunday. Um, I was wondering if you could help us go a little bit deeper into the disciplines because one of the strongest points for me personally in this book was when John Mark Comer said, you know, in Matthew 4, it's not that the devil came to Jesus when he was at his weakest, but it actually was he was at his strongest. Yeah, so I I love this example that we see of Jesus in the desert and he he goes away in Matthew 4. Matthew 4? Yeah. Yeah, Matthew okay. 4. Yeah. And, and Jesus <laughs> goes away into the desert, into this quiet solitude. Uh, he's fasting, and and the devil is coming at him. He's attacking him with lies, and Jesus responds with scripture. And so I think that just like we've been talking about this snowball effect, this law of returns, where we spend our time, what we're doing is going to determine whether we will be equipped as people, as followers of Jesus, as as potential victors to overcome the lies of the devil. And so the good news, the great news is that we have a strategy on how to overcome these things. And Jesus's life gives us this picture of practices that we can do and, and create and have as daily rhythms in our lives that actually will equip us to withstand and that, and stand firm against the lies of the enemy. And that's a, that even that phrase stand firm is something that we hear over and over again in scripture. It's not that, uh, that that we are, you know, sitting down, we're laying down and we're just living life this way. But we are people who are constantly going to be under attack Um, as Christians, as members of humanity, we're going to be constantly under attack. And so the question is, what do we need to do in order to stand firm? And that is, we become more like Jesus uh, through these spiritual disciplines. So um, quiet prayer and, sorry, 
And we do that through these spiritual disciplines. And so we have quiet prayer and we have the knowledge of scripture, just spending time in the word, letting that be each morning um, as we're knowing that we're going into the battlefield every single day, being able to, to be equipped and soak in the truth before walking into a world where we will be attacked by lies. I think that's so important. Um, reading the Bible, I, I heard it said once at a church that that so many people fall away from the faith because they hear one thing that that disagrees with what they've made their image of God to be. And the mm-hmm. way that we can know the true image of God is through reading scripture mm-hmm. um, so that when lies or confusions or doubts come against us, we have scripture to return to. We have quiet time with God where we can just sit before him and, and soak in his presence. Um, some other practices, fasting and confession. This is how we overcome our earthly appetites, that flesh is, um, fasting. So actually denying ourselves of what the world says will sustain us. Um, and particularly food. I think that that's a great discipline is fasting from food. Uh, that's what we see Jesus do so we can follow his example and confession, um, coming before God and recognizing our own brokenness, acknowledging the lies that we've been listening to, acknowledging Mm. where our appetites have been twisted, uh, from good things to, to evil things, being able to fast and confess are just these ways that we can really put to death these appetites of our flesh. Mm-hmm. And then when we're, when we're talking about worldliness and how we can kind of counter this welcoming world that, that welcomes lies of the devil, that welcomes twisted truths, um, I think activity in the church is a huge part mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. I, this deconstructionist culture of Christians who have fled the, the church and the church body and the congregation, um, I, I would say that, that there's this need and this need expressed by Jesus, this command to be a part of, of church bodies. And so I think that as we counter worldliness, we need to be surrounded by people who are going to encourage us in our faith as we're then sent out into the world. Um, we can put to death this this con- consistency of, of living in a Christian bubble and not being people of the world. Jesus didn't live like that. He was constantly going out. He was loving people. He was meeting people who didn't yet know him, and that's our calling. But I think if we're not being poured into by our church and we're not being around Christian people, interacting with them, seeing how they live, seeing how they put to death fleshly appetites, seeing how they stand firm against the lies of the devil, um, we're missing out on, on this whole... Uh, discipline that that is designed to help shape our life in Jesus. And so I would say service is a part of that activity mm-hmm. too, being people who um, in humility walk alongside those in need and and give of themselves in the same way that Jesus did. Um, we, we see Jesus as a man who gave himself um, to the point of death on a cross. And so mm-hmm. uh, I think as we're immersing ourselves in Christian community weekly, um, we should also be people who are immersing ourselves in service. Yeah. And in turn, you end up with a a culture that was so revolutionary that it just overtook the whole Roman empire Mm, in the early first century. Yeah. And it only took about, you know, 300 years to do that. And getting back to this conversation of like politics too. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I think that cultural moment has changed greatly in the last 2000 years, but we see similarities of of just division that was being experienced within Mm. the church and just in the greater government. And I loved what you were saying, AJ. It's like, who is our allegiance to? Is it to Mm. the right or the left? What are we letting ourselves be so sensitive about? Is it the Holy spirit or is it somebody attacking our political beliefs? Mm. And, um, truly getting back to like, when did we stop being willing to listen to other people? Mm. Um, especially if their thoughts and their words and their attitudes are rooted in scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to be constantly assessing whether our political beliefs or our, our cultural beliefs are in line with what the Bible says. Um, and I, I think even 
just as we're talking about what the past has looked like, we see um, the church body and the church that Jesus has designed is this beautiful mix of people, multiple ethnicities, multiple cultures, um, multiple backgrounds and socioeconomic statuses. And I think that that's just a beautiful picture of the diversity that we're called to have within our church, um, but also in, in the way that we interact with the world. And this has been a really helpful conversation to think about all the things going on in our world and uh, trying to identify the source behind it because it's so easy to turn to the person and start demonizing them, but really understanding that's the the father of all lies, uh, craving or not craving, but uh, appealing to our appetites that then get accepted by our world. And there's just so much war going on. And I love that language. Um, as a closing question here, um, you know, for me, I've kind of understood in my life as I grow older and older that it's becoming increasingly hard to read books. It's becoming becoming increasingly hard, especially yeah. in the East Bay. You were born and raised in the East Bay, correct? Woo, yeah. Your lifetime CV. three crosses person. <laughs> For sure. Um, and so, you know, life is busy here yeah. and we got commutes. We got extraordinary traffic yeah uh, extraordinary we got commutes, yeah. we got a lot of things going on and so to, to carve out you know five six hours to yeah. read a book is just a big commitment and so i want to ask you um we're, we're promoting this as a fall recommended resource um why should i carve out five six hours of my time um to, to engage in this and, and why should I bring friends along with me? Um, what, what should our audience expect as they pick up this resource and uh, engage with it? Oh my gosh, AJ. Yeah. I think that this book is just such an extraordinary resource to really understanding the, the hold that the devil has on our world and just daily happenings from social media usage and the amount of time that that just sucks out of us to what we're watching on Netflix, uh, to, to what we're listening to on our commute, to the political leanings we have, to the lies that we've been believing. And so I think that this book is is necessary for a Christian living in this cultural moment. I think that it does an incredible job tying in scripture. This is not the thoughts and and the attitudes of John Mark Comer, but it's actually so scripture based and he quotes uh, a number of theologians and uh, worldly influences. So I, I think he just does a really good job bringing all of these different resources into the text. Um, the the thing I would say to, to somebody who's going to read this book is, it talks about these three sections. There's the devil, there's the flesh, and there's the world. And it kind of bookends both of these things with introducing the book, introducing these concepts, um, kind of this higher level, like what is an idea, what is a nice, a deceptive idea, and, and that is what becomes a lie when we believe them. Um, and then ending the book with uh, this call to to just crucify our flesh essentially and and live for Jesus and so that's what I think I would have wanted a little bit more for from in the book is uh the acknowledgement of Jesus as savior at the end there but I think uh for any Christian any follower of Jesus any person just living today I think this is a great book to read and yeah I think that's why in this message on Sunday we wanted to focus a, a, a little bit more on Jesus as the savior as the strategist for how to overcome the temptation temptations and lies of the devil. And so 
Uh, I titled this message dying to live because I think it, it kind of has this double wordplay of we're dying for something in this world. We're dying um, to have this desire satisfied. We're dying to to have our greed satisfied or our success or lust or whatever lies the devil's telling. Um, we have these desires um, that he has twisted, but we behind that, we have these deeper desires. We desire peace and joy and love and grace and mercy um, and things that we seek from the world, from the devil, in order to satisfy those things. But the reality is that only Jesus can satisfy our deepest desires. We have it all twisted. We've been going after the wrong things uh, this whole time. And and that's because of the devil, and that's because of the flesh, and that's because of the world that accepts these things. But um, we're, we're dying to live. We're dying to have mm. true life in Christ. Uh, a lot of us just don't know it. So that is our desire. And then on the other side of that, we have to die to live. We have to crucify our flesh. We have to put to death um, all of these desires. And um, in the message, I, I said this, like it's it's a thousand tiny deaths for one, one great life, one true life. We have to have tiny deaths to these lies that we've been listening to, to these desires that we've had um, so that we can have true life. So um, we are dying to live. We're craving it. We're appetizing for it. But we're, we also have to literally be dying to live truly. Well, I think this is going to be a great resource for our Three Crosses family. I think uh, the tension that you were kind of outlining there, um, if I could give some more previews, uh, previewing images. We've already talked about Frozen. We've already talked about Unusual Suspects, which are completely opposite movies in the spectrum. But um, two quotes I was thinking about um, as he's explaining the uh, imagery of what the devil's schemes are. He, he talks about this. He says, you need to ditch your mental image of Saving Private Ryan, which is this war movie, or The Lord of the Rings, which show, showcases you know all these enemies going at it on the battlefield. Instead, imagine a hacker just programming bots and algorithms based on data harvested from you know your typical social media sites. These algorithms work out when you are most emotionally vulnerable and susceptible to manipulation. Then inject an emotional loaded snooze story or link into your feed at just the right time to prey on your fear or desire and index you toward their desired behavior, opinion, or view. And so there's this like sneaky lies that are going on. But at the same time, and this is the tension I think you were drawing out, uh, C.S. Lewis says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence altogether. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So this tension of like, we need to acknowledge that he exists, but like you're saying, we have a savior in the person of Jesus Christ through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And so praise the Lord for Jesus. Thank you so much, Lauren, for coming. Again, the book is called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. You can pick it up on Amazon or wherever you find your books. And uh, we encourage you to, to grab a friend and walk through it with them and see how it resonates with them. So it's not you just reading it. it you can sit down with people and um, you know process these thoughts together. 